Hello and welcome to the Her Story Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Miller. Today my guest is the youngest person I've had on the show so far. At only 19 years old, Lachelle Davis has more wisdom and self-awareness than most ladies twice her age. It really was a joy to get to spend time with this girl of remarkable faith and to hear her journey of growing up in foster care to finally being adopted this past summer into a forever family. But the true inspiration of Lachelle's story is not her adoption into an earthly family, but it's how God pursued her to be adopted into His forever kingdom. Lachelle and I spoke at length about, no matter our past, we are all broken people, but in Christ we can all be healed and made new. I promise this conversation will leave you inspired and yearning to seek God in new ways. And a quick side note, the snoring you hear is my dog Ginger, who decided to take a nap by us during our conversation, just a little too close to the microphone. All right, Lachelle, thank you for coming today and being really brave to share your story of your journey through the foster care system and just how the Lord has just done amazing things in your life. Yeah, it's really good to be here. I'm excited. So I met you, gosh, probably three or four years ago when you came to speak at our church just about your experience growing up in the foster care system and you, your story just touched our family's hearts so much and you were the reason that we started the foster care journey and being a foster family. So um, just thank you for sharing that years ago. Yeah, I'm definitely really inspired to hear that people can hear my story and really apply it to their life, especially people who aren't in foster care. I think Mm -hmm. it's definitely um, very humbling, but very encouraging. Yes. Well, you told me... um, when we were chatting just before this that um, and we'll we'll start at the beginning about your story and how you got here but one of the things that you told me was that um, you really just have such a desire to help hurting people um, recognize how Jesus can heal them and that's what you feel like Jesus has done in your life right yes absolutely I think that I was a very hurt person for a very long time and a very broken person. And I think we use that term very loosely Mm -hmm. in this day and age. But, you know, so many people are broken in this world. And so many people have hurts that they can't recognize or that they don't want to recognize. And I think that a big calling on my heart is just in whatever, whatever area of life I'm in, whatever I'm doing in my future, to just really dive into what intimacy with Jesus looks like and how that can help people to just heal their hearts. I think that when broken people finally recognize that they're broken, they feel like they're in this state of, I can't get any better. I can't fix myself. There's nothing I can do. Mm -hmm. But that's not true, especially when you have Jesus the one true king, the one who came and sacrificed for us on your side. Right. Now, I think it's just an incredible journey that I just want to help people go through. And you, it's taken years for you to get to the point where you can say that, right? <laughs> you couldn't have said that five years ago or 10 years ago, oh. uh, because like you said, you were very broken and you had a very um, hard start to your life. Is that fair to say? Yes, absolutely. So take us back and... Um, because I do want to talk so much more just about how God has healed you and uses you. But let's go back to kind of to the beginning of your story um, of how things started for you in life. How old are you right now? You're 18, right? I'm Nin- 19. You're 19. Sorry, you told me that. Okay, 19. So take us back um, to your childhood and early life and how life started for you. 
Okay, so something I would like to start my story off is a lot of people don't have memories from when they're really young babies, but my first memory was actually um, something that came to me in a reoccurring dream, Okay. almost. Um, I just remember like a hotel and police sirens and my grandma and, um, and as I started, um, rekindling my relationship with my biological family, started talking to some of them about those dreams and those memories I was having. And that was actually the first time I was taken into foster care. Oh, wow. Um, and so I was, I entered into foster care for the first time when I was two. So, so that's the dream you were having from yes. an experience as a two-year-old. Yes. Oh, goodness. Okay. Um, <laughs> and so I was in foster care for about a year. This And I don't necessarily remember all of this, but this is definitely just what I've, um, what I've talked to my family about and what um, my records say. Okay. So I was in foster care for about a year, and, um, and then I went back with my biological mom mom and my little brother was born so it was the two of us and then from what I've gathered I think around the age of four my my brother was one my mom kind of left us at um at a family member's house but um but I remember her leaving and I remember feeling so sick to my stomach Mm. because I was I was so young but I just knew um, and so having those feelings of abandonment at just that young age mm-hmm. just, I think, really took a toll on my heart. Um, and was your father, biological father, in the picture <laughs> at all or no? No. Okay. I actually, my biological father was in prison before I was born. Okay. So I never met okay. him. He wasn't even on my birth certificate. Okay. So, so your mom um, was who you were attached to, and so her just leaving you somewhere, that was a huge just um, yes. abandonment right there. Okay. Yes. Um, and I think that for a while, I think she would come back a few times and see us, but it was definitely a, um, a guardianship placement and... Um, so and she wasn't just leaving you like, I got to go to work. It was like, no, I'm, I'm done. I'm not raising yes. you right now. Okay. And I think looking back on it, I think that that was a very smart move on her part. And I think that that really was for the benefit of us um, and what she thought that was best for us. But, you know, as a little kid, you don't understand. Right. You just right. want to be with your parents and not having that um, can just really, really break a person, mm-hmm. I think. Um, okay, so fast forward, we um, lived there for a while, and um, and the placement was interesting. Um, my brother, he would get in trouble at school all the time, and he uh, um, he just always wanted to be like the big, strong kid that he didn't want anyone to run over him. Because um, he's probably having his own defense mechanisms of yes. coping with, like, my mom's <laughs> not here, and yeah. Yes, and then I was very soft-spoken. Okay. I um, didn't want any conflict, so I always tried to, my best in school. I always got straight A's, and I was very um, conflict-avoidant. Um, but growing up, I always felt like I wasn't the favorite one. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand because I was like, well, I'm the good one. I'm the one who gets yeah. good grades, and I'm the sweet one, and I'm... You're trying to do everything perfect. I talk, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and my brother, um, 
my brother was just Skylar. He's just, he's the best and he just lights up a room. And so, um, so I just really struggled for a long time, just giving up parts of myself for him Mm -hmm. um, and seeing what ways I can make his life better and what ways that I could um, just ensure that he got taken care of. How much older were you than him? I'm three years older. Three years. Than him. Okay. So, but yes. you probably felt like I had to step into that mother motherly role and protect him and everything. Yeah. Absolutely. I remember I would cook breakfast for him when I was really little because yes. um, our family just wouldn't get up, mm-hmm. and so he would be so hungry, and mm. I'd make the silliest little breakfast. I'd put toast. I'd make toast and put syrup on it, <laughs> or I would just make scrambled eggs or something. But you're a child trying to raise and help another little child. Yes. So, okay. And to this day, I can still only cook toast with syrup and scrambled eggs, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, so you're being raised without your mom in this guardianship home. Um, mm-hmm. So how long were you there for? Um, so I, I think we were there for about six years. Okay. Um, Was this family or just a friend of your mom's? Or um, Okay, so my brother and I have different fathers. Okay. And, um, it was his side of the family. Okay. So, um, so did that make you feel probably a little bit, Oh, I don't belong. That probably added to your like inferiority or why am I not favored or just all of that not belonging? Yes, it it really did. And I, I remember when I was really young, my brother's dad would tell me things he'd say, you know, I can be your dad too. And he really tried to include me, but I never wanted that. Mm -hmm. I was like, you're not you know, my dad, I don't want you to be my dad. I don't want to call you dad. And he was very kind to me and he never wanted to pressure me, but I think he knew that ultimately I would need a father figure. Right. And I didn't have that. Little did he know my father figure is way bigger than him. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, and so I remember we moved to another guardian placement that was actually his on his side of the family too. Okay. Were things just not working out at this one or it just the father of the household, he actually passed away okay. and so um just income was really difficult and okay. um they were having to downsize on the house and so we she just thought that a better life for us would be okay. found okay. at this other and home. And your biological mother, is she in your She's life She's completely point? gone. Okay. Um, and how are you processing that as a child? Did you even, or was that just pushed aside? Or, like, how <laughs> how did that even, how did your mind handle that? During my, during that first placement, I think I was so mad at her mm-hmm. that I, um, I would, I would, I had a picture of her, just one, and it was actually a a picture of her from prison, but I would hold it and, um, and I would look at it all the time and I just, um, I wanted her to be better, but I was so mad at her for leaving. Um, and I remember just thinking like, that was my one chance (laughs) at having a mom. Like that was the one chance of having a normal family and now I don't have one. Did you feel like you had done something wrong or no? Um, that's, see, that's difficult for me because I think that during those times, I never felt like I was doing something wrong. I always felt like, why is this happening? I'm doing everything right. Gotcha. Um, but as I um, got older and started to um, really develop bigger insecurities about that part of my life, I really did feel like it was a huge part of my 
like a huge part of it was my fault. Right. Um, and was, did you have a relationship with the Lord during this time? Was Jesus in your life at all? Or is that even like on your radar? Um, no, I think I went to one church one time and I was like a baby baby. And I don't remember. I just remember people talking about it, but no, so definitely not part of your life. It was not a part of my life. I don't even remember ever having a conversation about God or Jesus or the gospel. Um, okay. Yeah. The very absent, um, in my discussions, but very present in my heart. I feel Mm. like that's really Um, interesting. What do you mean by that? Well, um, when I talk about the next home, um, it really comes to life. So I want to save that part. Okay. Perfect. (laughs) So, um, this next home, I was, I think 10 when I moved in there, I was there for about three years and I remember being so hopeful driving Mm -hmm. there. I remember looking out the window on our drive and just thinking, my life is going to be so much better. I'm going to be in a nicer home with a mom and a dad figure that are closer to my age. Um, you know, and I just really thought that my life was going to turn around. Um, I was not bitter. I was not angry. I was just very hopeful. Um, and, um, (laughs) and that home was definitely very hard. Um, so not what you thought at all. Not at all. And it really, that hope got shattered on the first, the first day there. Um, the family that I was with, um, they were very anger driven people, very aggressive people. Um, but it really came out when they drank alcohol. Mm. Um, and it was kind of a constant in our lives that they would just go out and sit on the back porch, watch a football game with a ton of beer all night long, no matter the weather, (laughs) um, no matter what else was happening in their lives. That was just our routine was they would get home and they'd go straight to the back porch. And my brother and I, we just did what we could. Did they have Um, other siblings or was it just you and your brother? No, it was just the two of us. Okay, So Um, they didn't even know, like have no experience with raising children and just well the the father of the family actually had two kids from a previous marriage but they did not live with us okay they all they didn't visit very often either they came like maybe once a year okay so you have this couple they're set in their lifestyle of drinking watching football and these two kids come and then you your little 10 year old heart (laughs) is probably just shattered because it's not this picture perfect family that you yes okay exactly and we had a church that was right by our house um and so a few of the neighborhood kids and I would we would all go up there but I think in that time of my life I didn't believe in what the church was talking about. I think I went for the food and the fun and the community. Um, and so I just kind of would just smile and just sit in church and I would never, I was very closed off. Um, I cannot tell you one thing I heard from that church. Just doing the routine of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but this home was very, um, very abusive Mm -hmm. in just about every way possible. Um, some of the things were as small as we couldn't eat unless we had one serving every um, meal and then we had a box of raisins for a snack every day. And we were pushed to do sports and we were pushed to work out all the time and our bodies were just undernourished. Um, you know, I remember being so small 
um, physically because I didn't consume enough calories mm-hmm. to keep up with how hard I was working. And I'm and they 10 put, and 11. They, they had pushed you to do this and be, be that way. Yes. Okay. And I'm 10 and 11 and I don't understand right. all of this stuff. I don't understand that it's bad to be 80 pounds and 5 foot 3. Right. Um, and so my life was just... And so abusive in every way. Did you have anyone like at school that you reach out to or any teachers? Because it's so... You hear like stories like yours where these kids are just being so abused, but then you wonder, like, did an adult not catch on that was no. in school? No. No. Um, I had a diary that I wrote things in, okay. but I didn't... I felt so closed off and I felt so ashamed, um, so embarrassed <laughs> that I couldn't even tell my diary about it. Oh, goodness. Um, and so... Um, in that home, like... It was very, it was very abusive in a way that made me feel like it was all my fault. Um, and, and I think so often that's, that's how it is. That is yes. the case. Yeah. Well, and I think that, um, I don't know this for sure because I haven't done any studies or anything, but just from my experience, I think that the abusers in their mind, they, in their, in their perspective, it is the kid's fault. They want to they make want, themselves believe that to justify yes, what they're doing. Yes, and they yeah. want to, quote, punish or, yeah. quote, like, discipline. Yeah. Um, and that's just what I experienced in some of the abusive ways. Um, others were not as justifiable, but still it just made me feel as though, like, my life was so bad and my mm. my actions were so, like, they were just so bad that, the abuse had to happen. Mm. Um, and so I just remember just kind of taking it and I never stood up for myself. I never stood up for my brother. I stood up for my brother one time. I remember we had this paddle. We called it the spinner. Okay. It was a piece of wood. And um, when you got hit by it, you had to sign your name on it. Um, and it had like pieces of wood that would like stick out on the sides and give you splinters and stuff. But one time it had a screw in it and I don't think that they put the screw in it to like hurt us. I think maybe one of the neighborhood kids was like playing around with a drill and screwed it in or something. Um, but I remember when my brother got hit, he had a cut. Um, and I went up to the woman of the house and I tried to stand up for him in a kind way. I was just... I remember saying something like, I think there's a screw in the spinner and it really hits, hit my brother and, um, and she checked out the wound and then I, Mm. (laughs) I got in trouble for it. Um, and so I always just felt like no matter what I did, I was always in the wrong and I was always disrespectful or I deserved what was happening to me. Um, and what is, I mean, what that must do to a little child's heart is just totally so when you say you were a broken person I mean you were because you your spirit your body all of that was being broken down yes. by these adults um and then so how many years were you in that home I was in that home for three years okay three um, years of abuse that not uh, that a social worker or a teacher nobody intervened no oh my goodness okay um, and I just remember feeling so alone yeah and I think a part of me didn't want to tell people not because I was scared of going into the system. I don't even think I understood the system at this point in my life. 
But I think I was so scared that people would look at me and say, oh, well, you shouldn't have done this or judge me for who I was and blame me for it. Um, I think I was just, I wasn't scared as much as I was ashamed. Um, And I think that that's how a lot of people are about, you know, abusive situations, but also just everyday life we get so ashamed Right. Of things that we shouldn't be ashamed well, of. Well, even women that live in abusive marriages. I mean, that's mm-hmm. why they say they don't leave or they don't tell. Like, yeah. um, because they're ashamed what people might think or that they've let it go on or maybe it was their fault. So it's such a pattern that the devil, like, just loves to use that shame to keep us trapped in that abuse and stories. So as a 10, 11, 12-year-old, I mean, you fell right into it and you have such a young heart and spirit. It's like, what... It's, I mean, the devil just could keep you in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you said, so going back just a little bit ago, you said that though you felt um, in your heart like that the Lord or just a presence or something um, during this time. Yes. Okay. So during this time, I would go to church, but not pay attention. Right, we talked right. about that. But I think that I would pray, but I didn't know who I was praying to. Okay. I didn't know how to pray. Um, and so I would always ask you know, if someone, if you're up there, can you just put an orange under my pillow? Just show me you're here. Give me a sign. Tell me you're here. You wanted some proof. Okay. Is there a God or something that can answer what I need here? Yes. Okay. Um, and of course that never happened because that's just not the way that our God works. But your young heart was still like, just knew there's something out there and there's somebody. Absolutely. Um, and then as, um, as that, um, time went on, I started praying more intentional prayers where I would say, if you're up there, please just help me get out of here. Mm. Like help me to have a way out. Mm. And I didn't want to do anything about it. I didn't want to tell people because I was ashamed, but I didn't see another way out. Um, and I didn't think that if I told anyone that I would get out of it, I would, I, in my mind, I thought that if I told someone, everyone would get upset with me and then it would just lead to more abuse, more neglect. Right. Um, or even just them telling me I can't live with them and having nowhere to live. Right. Um, and so just, um, just a huge part of my life was just really seeking for someone when I had, when I felt like I had no one. Okay. Okay. And looking back now, I really, I really think that even though I was so broken and I was hurting so deeply, I think that my life didn't reflect that, which is probably, which is probably why like not a lot of teachers or anyone suspected right, it. Because you didn't have the signs. You had good grades. You mm-hmm. were polite. You didn't act out. I mean, that's a really good point. I didn't yes. think that's that with you, that you, you looked like everything was fine. Yes. Okay. And, um, and I, I remember being so shy and quiet when I was younger, but I still wasn't not happy. Mm-hmm. Like, I wasn't a sad little kid. Like, I remember when things would make me smile, I would smile, mm-hmm. or I would try and be very sweet and polite. Um, and, you know, and I think that that was a huge reason that no one knew, but I also think that that was a result of our God just really helping me to build that resilience yeah. while I was young. Yeah. Um, and 
Um, so you say you lived there three years, and then then what happened? That she so that diary I was talking about. Yes. Um, it was like my best friend, <laughs> mm-hmm. and one day I felt like I could really open up to it, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is so funny. But um, and I wrote, I said, "Dear diary, um, I'm about to tell you something I've never told anyone." Um, and then I just wrote about everything, about all of the abuse, about everything that was recurring and, um, and all the feelings that I was having. And I just wrote it down on paper. And I just remember feeling so, so heard mm. and not judged, but it was a book. So, <laughs> so right, but you not, got, you got it out. I mean, you didn't just keep it in. So you, yes, you got it out. There, I finally yes. got it out. And It was actually a really crazy situation, and I definitely think it was divine intervention. One of my best friends from church, I had the diary with me, and she, I think she asked me if she could read it or something, and um, she ended up reading that page, and it was not intentional for her to read it, and she did, and she ended up telling her mom and the pastor, and they... um, they got me and my brother in the office mm-hmm. and they called protective services and the mother of my friend actually took us in as a kinship placement. Oh wow. The two of us. Um, yes, that was divine intervention. Yes. I mean that you finally got to the timing of that and <laughs> mm-hmm. wow. Okay. And so, um, so that was definitely an interesting part of my life and I was 13, which is as you know, the prime teenager years mm-hmm. where you are very unsure about yourself already, yeah, right. um, despite everything that has happened to me and just trying to figure out your place in this world and going through puberty and yeah, all of those It's hard things. enough years without any, <laughs> any brokenness and baggage. Yes. Exactly. Um, and so as I entered in their home, I really did love them. Um, I thought that they were... Um, they were a great family, um, not a perfect family. Right. Um, they had their flaws, but they were definitely a good family and the best family I've ever seen and remembered. Um, and so as I started developing relationships with them, I fell into really, really unhealthy habits. Um, I started self-harming and um, just like thinking about um, like what life would be like without me mm-hmm. like what this world yeah. would benefit from not having me because I was still so in bondage to this shame mm-hmm. um and you're probably you're kind of you're in a safe place now so then you're probably really processing what just happened the last three years and yes not getting professional help and it's just all mm-hmm. you're coping how you can yeah yes but I also still felt this pressure to put on a face mm. um I never really opened up to anyone in that house about um, some of my hurts. And I think that because I never opened up to them, they didn't understand. Yeah. yeah. You know, all they had was what was on paper. Right. Um, And so as I started engaging in these super unhealthy thoughts and habits and actions, they didn't understand. Um, and I would kind of project my feelings onto smaller things like relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember they were, um, they didn't handle it necessarily the best way. Um, like they, instead of trying to encourage me out of it and seek help for me, they would just 
kind of get onto me and ground me for it. Mm-hmm. Um, in the sense of like, oh, if I discipline her, she'll get better. Yeah. And I think that their intentions were true. Right. Um, and I think that they really did want me to get better, but they didn't understand to what extent this yes. this wound was. Right. That's a great way to put it. Um, they, they did not probably know how to help you. Yes. Um, but then punishing you for those things just probably what made you suppress it even more or act down even more or what does that do? Um, And it made me really hide it a lot Mm. more, which is far more dangerous. Yes, absolutely. Um, And so I just really felt so alone. Um, And I remember um, one day I went to school. It was a normal day. It was probably the second week of my freshman year. Okay. high school and um I got called into the nurse's office and I was like I'm never sick I don't know why I'm in the nurse's office (laughs) and my caseworker was there and the family had told her that I was self-harming and that I was um super unhealthy and which was true but they also said that they felt that their daughter was in danger, Mm. which was really hurtful to me and really discouraging for me because I never in a million years would have hurt her. You know, we- She was one of your friends. She was was my best friend, my sister. And sure, we didn't get along sometimes and sure, like sometimes we liked the same boy, (laughs) you know, it just- Like normal sisters. Normal sister things, especially sisters that are the same age. Um, but they projected because you were doing self-harm that you would, you were a violent person or would take yes. that out on her, uh, which um, is completely opposite of anything remotely true. But, mm-hmm. um, okay. But they had no way to know that. And, um, and I think it really was for the better that I ended up moving out. So because of that, they, that they had you move out. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Um, and so I wasn't allowed to go home that day. Mm-hmm. So that day was a really scary day for me because I had nowhere to go. And tell how, because this is the journey of so many children in foster care. Mm-hmm. You hear several homes, placements in and out. I mean, how, I think I know, but I can't even imagine. How does that make you feel as a child, a 13, 14-year-old? Like, <laughs> can you articulate that at all? Just I definitely felt betrayed. Yeah. Um, I felt unlovable. Mm-hmm. Like... I had had so many shots at a family and no one could love me enough to keep me around or that no one wanted me around. Um, And those things weren't necessarily true, but that's definitely what the devil was putting on my heart. And, um, and I just felt this, this sense of hopelessness. Like I wanted to give up um, because you know, it's scary enough to be taken away once, yeah. <laughs> um, but then for people to give you up is just yeah. a lot different. Yeah. And then that overriding abandonment from your biological mother exactly. is always there. So, um, um, yeah. So when you, you left that house, did your brother go with you? So or? my brother actually had left a couple of months before and moved back in with the first Okay. The first family. Okay. It was his biologically related to him. Yes. Um, They really wanted him to move back in. And not you. But not me. And so that was just another huge, probably. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really want to. Okay. Because of the feelings of um, inadequacy that I felt there. Um, And there wasn't really abuse in that home, but there were definitely... um, 
things that just made me feel unsafe. Okay. So you knew it wasn't a healthy environment for you to be in. Yes, because in a, in a guardianship, discipline and punishment, well, I say punishment, discipline is allowed, Okay. but in a foster home, it's not. Correct. Um, In foster homes, physical discipline is not allowed. Right. And I think that I needed that Okay. because I'm to this day, I'm very much a I would rather you sit down and talk with yeah. me about so it. So you needed not to have that physical discipline. You needed yes. to be in a home that um, mm-hmm. was physically safe for you to be in. Yes. So, gotcha. Um, so did you find that? Where, tell me where you went then after you left um, your best friend's home. So after that home, I was in the car with my caseworker. And I did not like my caseworker at the time. Um, my previous foster mom had said some really horrible and untrue things about her. And I'm sure that that's how she perceived it. I'm mm-hmm. not saying she was a liar, but um, but in my mind, all of these horrible things about my caseworker were so true, um, and th- there couldn't be another way. She mm-hmm. was not a nice person. And I remember we were driving, and I was so mad because she told me we were moving to Owasso, Oklahoma. I was like, Ugh. so where were you at that point? Where I was in Tulsa. Okay. Okay. And I was like, I'm moving to some small country town <laughs> in the middle of nowhere with people I don't yeah. know. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just ticked off and upset and hurt and feeling right. this abandonment. And I'm sitting in her car and she just starts weeping. Mm. She said, you've been through so much. You just need, you just deserve a good family, a good home. And she said, so I have been making calls all day. And she said, and then I stopped and I made one call to this family, and I begged them mm. to take in another another kid in foster care. And um, and I was like, okay, <laughs> like I'm going to these strangers' house. Right. I was not happy about it. Right. And you had to beg him to take me. I mean, how does that make a child feel? You know, yes. it's like okay. So <laughs> yeah, you're still feeling not feeling it. <laughs> not feeling okay. it. And she um, she had told me that they had kids around my age which I was really nervous about in school because I was so shy and um, so soft-spoken and soft-natured. I was really bullied um, all throughout school. I never really had any close friends. I had a few, but because I moved so often and um, because I just didn't feel like I could trust anyone. I never developed really intimate and deep relationships with the other kids. When you were hiding so much, you can't get intimate and close with somebody if your yes. layers of things are hidden. So mm-hmm. and so um So you weren't t- looking forward to going to this house with other teenagers kids no, your age. Okay. Because my experience with kids my age was not good. Yeah. Um and I wasn't like super harassed or physically assaulted at school, but it was definitely um feeling of abandonment left yeah. out of the cool kid crowd or even the crowd in general and you told me earlier that you didn't even you were ashamed of even saying you were a foster kid so I'm sure that you were did not want anybody really to get to know you yes was part of who you were um and so when I was in my foster home it was this is my mom and my sister Mm -hmm. no questions asked Mm -hmm. I have a different last name because I have a different dad I just I wouldn't necessarily make up stories but I would kind of like only tell parts of the truth um, and like mix different truths together so that um, my story seemed okay Um, and so I was really ashamed of who I was I was ashamed of what I had been through I was ashamed of the living situation I was Mm. in Um, 
and just I I don't know I was just a very very broken girl yeah and I didn't know it you know I I didn't know that the things I was doing were super unhealthy or not it's all you knew I mean you were not around like healthy relationships and families so it's all yes. you knew. so you the caseworker does she take she takes you to the directly to this home then yes okay. and this home was the most amazing home I've ever witnessed to this day mm-hmm. these people um they were so welcoming and encouraging and loving and they are the most godly people I've ever mm-hmm. met in my entire life and I think that um looking back I think that my whole life was a series of events that led me to find this home but mm. um but I just I can't even tell you how amazing this home is so what did you me. did you integrate and fit right in or did you put up like <laughs> or were you like self-protective like I'm not even going to connect here because I don't know if this is permanent like how did you how did your how did you handle it so my first day I cried all day yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just um I was very timid and their whole family was there I think um a set of grandparents was there the cousins okay. were there the that was probably really overwhelming for you very yes. and they already have a big family they were a family of seven okay the and mom were those, dad and five kids so were those five kids foster children no okay. they were all biological they were all biological so okay. i was the only outsider okay um and so i moved into this home and um they were like come in and help us cook and i'm like I know how to make toast with syrup on mm-hmm. it. Like I, I was very, uh, I felt very left out because of my own insecurities, right. but I felt very included because of their actions. Okay. So okay. I was in this weird place of, do I jump in and fit in or do I right. just do my own thing? And I think from an outsider's perspective, it was very obvious that I didn't fit in. You know, I had the swoopy bangs and the big thick black framed glasses and I wore dark clothing and dark eye makeup and they're all very um modern and modest just just middle class white Americans and just yeah yes yes. very different from um my style so had you had any counseling like or therapy okay which is crazy to me yes all you've gone through I mean no wonder you're in unhealthy behavior, self-harm. I mean, it's like, yes. how are you supposed to cope? And then you're thrown into this family that is great, but still you're expected just to fit right in. Yes. So that, I imagine, was hard. So you spent the whole day crying. Yeah, my first day crying. And I think for a long time, I really pretended that I fit in there. Yeah. And I think to an extent I did. And I think that I was growing and forming into a woman who did fit into that atmosphere but I think I suppressed and hid a lot of who I was trying to fit in because this was my first chance at a family that you know really was healthy and really wanted me to be a part of their lives so I went to church with them I did the church thing not really believing um even with my past experience of praying I I think I felt this bitterness because he hadn't put an orange under my pillow. He hadn't answered those prayers. Um, Well, at least I thought he hadn't. Um, And so I just 
kind of pretended and went through life just um, trying to be as much like them as I could. I changed everything. I changed the way I dressed. I changed the way that I acted. Um, and did you do that so you could fit in with them, or did you do it because you really felt like you were changing? I did it so I could fit in with okay. them, I think. Okay. And I, I really do think that part of me did fit in there. Yeah. Um, that's a lot but, to sort out. My goodness. So yeah, and yes. how to act and behave and do so. And I did enter um, into therapy sessions okay. when I started um, living with them. Good. So I started with a therapist and I loved her. She was awesome. But <laughs> as every unhealthy teenager will tell you, I don't need therapy. I don't want <laughs> therapy. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I really was ashamed of it, you mm -hmm. know, and I say that I was ashamed a lot, but that I think those are really, um, the only word that can truly encompass all that I was yeah. feeling. And that is like the number one tool of the devil, I think, mm -hmm. to keep you closed up and not to heal is just to keep you in that shame. Oh, absolutely. Shame. You know, we see shame even in Genesis with Adam and Eve, it starts there and it's just constant after mm -hmm. that. We see it with Cain and Abel. We right. see it with, um, we see it with um, Abraham and Sarah. Yeah. We see it with everyone. You're right. It is all throughout the Bible, and it's the devil. It's keeping them. It's almost putting that wedge between <laughs> what the Lord can do for us and for healing. And Absolutely. That, so. We have this imagery that we use um, in some of my Bible classes at school, of like a smiley face. Um, with God above it and then sin in the middle and then a sad face that says us. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that a better picture would be the word shame yeah, instead right. of sin. Because I think that even when we do sin, what do we feel immediately after? Shame. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we are ashamed of our actions. Yeah. Um, and most of the time I presume, but, um, and you didn't have that relationship with the Lord to know, like, I can go to him and he's healed, you know, cleanse me white as snow and I am free. Like you didn't have any of that. So no. what are you to do with all of that shame? You're holding on to it and trying to cope. Um, yes. And the shame even really hindered my relationship with my therapist of, oh, I don't want to talk to you yeah. about this. I, yeah. I don't want to feel judged. And she did help me a lot. And she helped me to identify different parts of me that were unhealthy. And we did end up talking a lot about some of the trauma, but to an extent, I didn't want to talk about it. Yeah, you um, ready. And um, I just felt like I could just be healthy on my own and I didn't need that. Um, <laughs> oh, boy, was I. <laughs> we only knew, right? Mess. Yeah. <laughs> we only just talked to our younger selves. Um, and so. Um, during this time, my biological mom actually came back she into okay. my life. Okay. And, um, oh, and I think goodness. there's yeah, always going to be a part of a girl that wants her mom. Mm. Um, I have this great, awesome mom in my life right now, but I... As the family you were living with, yeah. Yes, that your biological mom came in, and like you just said, part of you, like, you're probably yearned for that. Yes, yeah. and, and I never really... Um, at an age where I could cognitively understand and remember living with my mom. And so I, um, <laughs> part of me romanticized the idea sure. of living with her. Um, and she worked a plan and we ended up entering into what's called trial reunification okay. where a, um, kid in foster care goes back with their biological parents okay. for, um, usually it's three months. And during that time, the, um, 
the parent has to like do drug tests and like work a course and make sure that she has a job and a house. Okay. Um, and I, and I think in my mom's plan, she couldn't date. I'm not 100% sure, but, um, just men was a huge part of, um, her unhealthy habits, um, that really like affected my brother and I, Okay. my brother and me. <laughs> So you were um, excited to go live back with, live with her, I assume, or was it a lot of mixed feelings? It was a lot of mixed feelings. I think that I really wanted the freedom of yeah. living with a mom who didn't care about me okay. <laughs> that much. Okay. Not that she didn't care about me at all, but um, just didn't care about my actions. Because you probably had a lot of, in this healthy home that you were in, you probably had a lot of boundaries. And a lot of structure. And, yeah. and yeah. it's because they knew I was this broken and healthy yeah. girl who could fall susceptible right. to all of right. these Right, and you needed that structure, but you didn't think so. so. Yes, <laughs> and as I entered this home, I actually was not self-harming. Okay. Um, I had quit that, and I was still struggling um, with depression and post-traumatic stress disorder and a lot of anxiety. Okay. But I was learning how to cope with it with my therapist, and I was learning how to um, just enter into a healthier state of living. Okay. And, um, but I, I just wanted the freedom of having a cell phone and being able to have a boyfriend and, right. you know, all of these things right. that you want when you're 14 and 15. right. right. And um, so you thought living with a biological mom, I can would get those offer things. me this. Okay. Yes, and so I ended up moving back in with her when she lived in this apartment, um, and I moved in I think right before my 16th birthday, and I think that one of my biggest letdowns, which is kind of not a, I mean it's a huge deal to a kid who doesn't have their parents, but it's not like the world is ending kind of huge. It's my 16th birthday, I woke up and my mom wasn't there mm. and she didn't give me a gift and she didn't say happy birthday and, um, mm. like she didn't even remember. I thought you were going to say you didn't get a car. I'm serious. That's no. where my mind went. And so I'm like, Oh, but then you say that. I mean, that is all, that is yeah. so hard for a kid. All you wanted was your mom to be there mm -hmm. on your 16th birthday and you wake up and nothing. <laughs> I know. And oh. I woke up with a text from, um, my mom from my previous foster home that was very mm -hmm. sweet and, and happy birthday and you. yeah and she I think she had a gift for me or something and so that was just kind of a moment of did I choose the wrong mom I'm sure I'm sure um, and such an example of people are gonna let us down mm -hmm. over and over and it's like you had this built up living with your biological mom and then she's not even there mm -hmm. the morning of your birthday and um and while I was living with my mom, I really, I wasn't self-harming and I wasn't, um, like having suicidal thoughts or anything, but I was engaging in a lot of other unhealthy activities. Like I was trying to find my worth sure. and my identity and what boys thought of me yeah. and like, of like my relationship with boys. Um, and I was just really entering into this, like... I'm not worth it unless someone proves it. Yeah. Um, and you never really had that father figure, so seeking attention from boys is yes. probably, I mean, that's so common that that's the path you started going down. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, I remember I didn't want adult men in my life. Um, adult men was not something that I was comfortable with. It was mm -hmm. not something that was ever a good thing in any of my homes. Um, and so I was just very ashamed and very... Um, I felt very unworthy and inadequate sure, sure. and I really, I really just 
I I was mm. a mess. I was definitely broken. Is this hard for you to talk about and remember that, or no, because you know how far you've come and oh. you're not that person? No, I'm not that person anymore. I've definitely come a long way. It's not it's not hard for me to talk about, but I do feel myself like, if only I had known, mm, yeah. <laughs> or if only I had just really, you know, talked about it with someone. Because right. um, at this right. point, like. I had my therapist and I would talk to her sometimes, but like I didn't talk to her about super deep things. Which you had a lot you could have. I mean, you were, mm-hmm. I mean, you were just full of so much hurt and so many people that had done had mm-hmm. done horrible things to you. And it's like, ah, oh, it's does it make you probably makes you just sad for that person? I don't know. I'm just I'm trying to think of I if I were you <laughs> just reliving this and saying it like, gosh, mm-hmm. that just has to be. Well, and. My therapist did a really, she was awesome. She was incredible. She did a really good job of knowing my story and being able to help me without talking specifically about it. So I I do give her a lot of credit for helping me to find a healthier way of living, um, even though I didn't specifically talk about things. But um, yeah, my life was just... So, kind of falling into shambles. Okay, so your mom wasn't there, and mm-hmm. that doesn't last real long, correct? No, okay. it actually... So, a couple weeks after my birthday, I um, I got a knock on my door, and it was an eviction letter mm-hmm. for our apartment, and my mom had run away with her boyfriend, who she had started doing drugs with again. She had skipped her drug test, and they moved to mm-hmm. somewhere, Oklahoma City or something like that, and had left me. Oh, Michelle. Um, and so, just again, those feelings of abandonment and just really discouraged, yeah. feeling like, wow, like my own mom doesn't love me enough to stay, or my mom loves her boyfriend more than me. And, um, mm-hmm. and it was just a really broken time of my life. And um, I ended up calling my previous foster mom, and I said, okay. this is what happened, and I just need you. I just need a mom. Yeah. <laughs> and so she came, and um, the whole family came and got all my oh. stuff and loaded it up, and, um, and it, was, it was good. Um, they just really helped me out. Um, and I ended up living with them for a couple of days, but their home didn't have enough beds for me. Um, cause they were just full, they had, their oldest daughter had just adopted two kids, right. um, and they were still living there. And, um, and so I ended up moving in with a really good family friend. Um, she's about 63 or something. Okay. And she was kind of like a roommate. Uh-huh. It was really fun. Um, but in that time, I... It's kind of hard to explain. I was still like engaging in very unhealthy activities mm-hmm. of like, um, like with guys and with my relationships and just um, trying to be controlling or um, super needy and um, wanting attention and and I didn't. You still know had that. so much healing that needed to take place yes. before you could have healthy <laughs> behaviors and relationships, and so yeah. So I, yes. I, I get it. And I wasn't seeking an intimate relationship with the Lord. Um, I think at this point in my life, I had um, 
I'd heard about him. I had seen what a healthy relationship with him looks like, but I didn't feel worthy enough of one. I didn't feel like I trusted God enough, and I didn't feel like he would love me enough. Because you're just, you're probably just, Mm -hmm. you're giving him characteristics of all the humans that had been in your life. So it's like... And just, it's hard, you know, thinking about taking yourself in your most broken state and offering it to someone. You never want to do that. You want to present the best part of who you are and the best part of your life. And I just felt like there was no best part of me. Mm. I felt like there was no part of me that was good enough for him. And there wasn't. So I think that I believed in him and knew him and wanted a relationship, but I just felt like I couldn't have Mm. that. Um, just like I couldn't have a relationship with my mom um, or a relationship with anyone for that matter. Um, and so I lived with her and she, um, she was a godly woman. She went to church and she read a Bible, but I still just kind of didn't. (laughs) I just felt like, I felt like even if I went to God with all my stuff, he would smack me down and like Mm. that grace was offered to everyone except for me. (laughs) Um, and and it was a, it was a hard time. Um, and were you still probably wishing? Um, you probably still yearn for our family, and so I'm assuming yes. wanted to get back with the family that um, that you felt was very healthy with all the the five bio kids and who came mm-hmm. to rescue from your mom. Is that where you wanted to get back to? I think subconsciously, did, yes. Yeah. I think subconsciously, I really wanted a mom and a dad and siblings yeah. and. Yeah. Um, a home, yeah, and I wanted that, um, but I didn't ever feel like my home life with the the woman was not good. I loved her so much. She really helped me to learn independence, mm-hmm. um, being able to um, pay for what I needed yeah. when I needed it, um, and that was actually when I met you. Okay. Was that okay. time of my life when I lived okay. with her. Okay. Um, and that's when I really developed the sense of, um, it's not, like, this life, I need to just grab it and take yeah. hold of it. Yeah. So you're still living then in this home with the, the single woman, your life's going relatively okay, but you're still processing and struggling and hurting and having behaviors. So, um... And then tell me what happens next. So we actually, we had another teenager living with us. Okay. Um, and she was very much a stereotypical, quote, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, foster girl. She um, was the one who, you know, she was interested in women and she um, explored, like, alcohol and drugs and the that life this quote street life right um and she would go AWOL which is just running away from right. her foster home and she would come back and then and that's why a lot of people I mean and you're not saying like oh all teenage foster kids are like this mm-hmm. but when we have in our minds of teenagers in foster care this is kind of what we think because unfortunately there are 
a lot that exhibit these behaviors because they've been so hurt. And this is why so many people are reluctant, right, to take mm-hmm. teenagers because this is a stereotype that we have in our mind of, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, I don't want, <laughs> don't want to handle that teenagers. Yes. So, but that is who started living with you in this home was somebody that did have all of those yes. typical behaviors. Well, okay. she was actually there before me, but oh, okay. the two of us had a very interesting relationship. We were very different. I was still the, I want to do everything right. Right. I want to do good in school. Um, I just want to be sweet and kind. And um, she was very much a, this is not how the world is. You can't be sweet and kind in this world kind of mentality. But we had a relationship where we got along very well. Okay. We were sisters. Yeah. um, And that was that. And um, I think that that was just because we both had an understanding that even though I don't know your past mm. and you don't know my past, we know yeah. that you had a past and you right. know that I had a past. Yeah. And that relationship just really, um, it was really good for the both of us, I mm-hmm. think. Um, you know, she really helped me to, um, to just understand that, you know, I had this resilience inside of me that I didn't know where it came from. Um, because I wasn't exhibiting those mm-hmm. super unhealthy coping mechanisms. And and I thought it was all me. I was like, wow, good job. Pat on the back. Uh-huh. I'm doing so good at this life uh-huh. thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the truth is, it wasn't me. And it took me a long time to realize that that resilience was not me mm-hmm. at all. I, Being the broken and hurting and just simply human person that I am, that resilience came from God. How did you start realizing that? At what point? I'm sure that was a journey, but mm-hmm. um, when do you think you kind of first started thinking like, you know what, this this is God. This is God shining through. It was probably a summer before my senior year of high school. Okay. I was still living with this woman and um, this teenager had been in and out of our home and we had ended up fostering another one. And so the okay. dynamic was very different. But um, I... I just really, I think knowing her and seeing her um, and experiencing three girls, three teenage girls, all in foster care, always past that are very different. Um, you know, there was me who I just wanted to act like everything was all right and put um, kind of a mask on my problems mm-hmm. and just say, I am not. Right. I'm, <laughs> I'm not unhealthy. I'm very healthy. <laughs> and then having this girl who um, exhibited very unhealthy coping mechanisms and behaviors, but to her, they weren't unhealthy. To her, that was how you survive. Kind of a get them before they get me attitude. And then the other girl, she she was actually um, academically and a little bit intellectually delayed. Okay. Um, And most of it was just trauma Mm -hmm. induced. Um, but so, and just seeing her coping mechanisms as like, she, um, she was just really unhealthy, like eating. She mm-hmm. was very physically unhealthy and, um, she didn't want to do well in school. She didn't want to do anything. Um, and just seeing these three different coping mechanisms yeah. and these three very, very different girls right. all in one home. I think that really opened my eyes because... It's so easy to think, oh, well, I, in a home with three foster girls, 
two of them would be like this and one of them would be like this. But mm-hmm. you never really see a dynamic of three totally yeah, separate. That's very interesting. Um, and I think that that and was... for you to realize that, too, at a young age. <laughs> like, hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think that that was really God's doing because without that, I don't know that I would recognize that I had a resilience. Mm. Um, you know, I would have just thought that it was me just being me right, um, right. and that it, and that you were fine, that it didn't affect me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so being able to recognize that and then, um, as I started like processing that and I started kind of reading my Bible and paying attention at church now, mm-hmm. um, and just really thinking like, why am I, why do I think this is all me? It is not because of me. There's no way that this broken, hurting young woman with the past like I have can exhibit these behaviors. Mm -hmm. Um, And so as I started to grow um, in my relationship with him and just as I dove into scripture, I really started um, finding out the truth about who God says I am. Um, and just really combating these um, these feelings that I had portrayed on myself and that mm-hmm. others had portrayed on to me of who I was and what my worth was. And so as I started diving into the scripture about, I did a Bible study called 31 Truths. And okay. it's about like um, just finding your identity in who Christ says you are and what he has called you to do. Um, and had you ever heard that before? Just about the things that God says you are, that you're a beloved child, like all of these. Is this a new thing to you? No, okay. not at all. My okay. my foster family that was really healthy before I moved in with my mom, they definitely um, helped me to see what a relationship with Christ looks like and what an identity found in Christ looks like. Okay. And so... Um, they didn't like shove it down my throat right, and say, but like, they, this is the gospel. This is what you right. need to know. But they started to plant that seed and expose you to that. Okay. Absolutely. And it was really just by their actions and yeah. just by loving me. Um, That's such a good point. I mean, as believers, like it's, <clears throat> it's not cramming it down people's throat. It is like how they see as love and treat others. And yeah, so. absolutely. Um, so you're doing this Bible study, like the 30, what was it called again? 31 Truths. Okay. And so does that start to really speak to you then during that time? Oh, absolutely. Um, it just really, I think it just changed my perspective. Mm. Um, we talk a lot in my church about how you take thoughts captive and you just turn them into, um, the truths that are in the Bible. And so saying, you know, I am not inadequate. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Yes. Or I am not unworthy. Like I am a masterpiece. So did really. you start doing that then? Were you able to, <laughs> were you able to start doing that in your life a little bit, a little bit by little? Oh yes. Okay. Um and that really just um it really just changed my perspective. And I think that as healthy and as amazing my family was, I think that it was really good for me to have that time away from mm. them so that I had an experience of what a relationship with him looked like, but I didn't have a place that I needed to pretend. So I really just started truly developing a relationship with him. That's very cool. I never, I mean, I, ne- I did not look at it that way, but for you to now take a step back and see how God's 
plan was so perfect because mm-hmm. all I keep thinking is, gosh, I can't believe she didn't get to go back to that perfect school <laughs> during that time. But that was probably like you're saying, God's plan to get you just so you could be your authentic mm-hmm. self and really start forming a relationship with the Lord. So that's really cool. Yes. it, And I think that a lot of my insight about these kinds of things are a result of me just being older and wiser. And, yeah. Um, but I definitely see that um, in every aspect of my life, God, um, God's plan just was so perfect. Yeah. You know, and I don't think God made bad things happen to me, but I think that that sometimes bad things happen to people and God allows it so that we can fall on our face, so that we can hit rock bottom, so that we can turn our eyes to him. Because without those things, I don't know that I would have a relationship with him. It's certainly probably, it would not be the same relationship and it might not be as deep in the way and intimate as it is right now. And like you said, God did not make those horrible things happen. I mean, we know humans have free will and it's hard to understand why God, those things do happen, but God used them all to make you into this incredible woman of God that you are today. Yes. And, um, and as I started going through this relationship with him, um, I started really understanding the value of vulnerability. Mm. Um, that vulnerability does not mean that the eyes of the world are on me to judge me and persecute me, but rather that being vulnerable um, and just really accessing the Holy Spirit and the healing power of Jesus, it helps people to turn their eyes on themselves. Mm. Um, Hearing someone else's story can really help other people evaluate their motives, their background, their current life, um, and just, um, and I think that I started developing that understanding. And so, um, that was when I met you because okay. I had started speaking at different yeah, churches. Yeah, because I was going to say for you to speak publicly, <laughs> you had to have some healing and realization that, um, this is the journey and the reason and the purpose, um, that God has me in this direction. Yes. And actually when I spoke at your church was the first time that I had written down my story in um, specific details of what happened instead of just a, I was in foster care. I was abused um, and just really um, helping people to understand um, that brokenness doesn't come from nothing and it's not always shown in the same way. You know, some people will be broken and their lives will look perfect, Instagram worthy on the outside, but they're so, they have this hurt that's so deeply rooted within them. Mm-hmm. And some people exhibit super unhealthy coping mechanisms and super unhealthy lifestyles where it's obvious to say, that's a broken person. Uh-huh. <laughs> but who are we to say that's a broken person right. when we look in the mirror right we're just as broken that's right um and, and so when you say you wrote your story down for the first time was that healing and therapeutic for you I think, and then to be speaking it publicly oh yes absolutely yeah. i think um so the way that my story was when i wrote it down is i wrote it in third person um okay, that's right. and i started it off with there was a little That's girl right. and it was really scary to go up there. I'm sure. And I had this old hymnal book that we had just taped it into. Yes. I still have it. <laughs> um, 
and I was reading this story and I was looking at the faces of the people that I was reading and uh, I wanted to be really intentional to not just read it off paper because I wanted people to know that it was a real story um, and that I wasn't making it up or mm-hmm. that I wasn't reading a script but rather I was just telling a piece of me yeah. so I, w- I was looking at the faces of the people in the crowd and um, just seeing you know the tears in their eyes or their heads turned down or people praying um, was just really encouraging and um, it just humbled me mm-hmm. so much and you did know? you feel just a huge weight of shame release after you did all that to let your story just out there Yes, absolutely. And I think I think I wasn't I think I was still ashamed in a sense, mm-hmm. but I wasn't ashamed because I felt like it was a it, it was my fault anymore. Okay. You know, I think that once I got the story out and people didn't say, "Oh, well, it's your fault because you did this." Right. Which I don't now looking back, I don't think anyone would ever do that. No. Um but I think that it just really helped me to just develop this sense of, you know, I am not what has happened to me. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to live a life that is a result of what's happened to me in a yeah. negative way. And I can't change, I can't change who I was. I can't change what has happened to me. Um, and I think in that moment, it was a, you know, it's not about me anymore. You know, mm-hmm. what can I do to make this story about him and about his healing power? And how can I use that to help other people? Yeah. You know, not just teenagers in foster care, even though I can, but anyone in any area of their life. You know, stories that are impactful, they're impactful in so many different ways to so yes. many different people. And that's kind of, I mean, that's what the Lord has used all this for you. He's instilled in you this passion for using this and encouraging others, right? I mean, that's kind of what you feel Mm -hmm. like. So expand on that just a little bit. On um, how I use my story to help Uh other people. Mm -hmm. So during this time, I, I really started to seek out opportunities to talk to people, to talk to potential foster parents, current foster parents, current kids in foster care, current kids that are in homes where they need to be in foster care, Mm -hmm. and just really trying to not encourage them, but just to make them feel heard. Um, I think that at this time in my life, I wasn't wasn't in a place to encourage anyone. I needed encouraging. You're still healing and you still need encouragement. Yes. Yes. But I knew that I was someone who would understand and who would just be able to listen. And I think that being heard is such a huge part mm-hmm. of the process of healing. And yeah. people often skip that part, which is why I think therapy is really good. Just because you go to therapy, that doesn't mean that you've had a horrible background. Right. You know, I think that, in a sense, we're all hurting and broken yeah. people. And yeah. um, just being heard by someone and being loved despite all of that it's just so powerful. And I think that that's something the enemy tries to tell us that we're unworthy of. You know, you can be loved all you want as long as they don't know who you really are. Mm-hmm. Um, they wouldn't love you then if yes. they did. Yeah. And yeah. that was a huge part of my 
um, my insecurities and my life for a long time and and I was like no more I'm not <laughs> I'm not doing this anymore and I'm not gonna let anyone else mm. feel like this so I started going to teen conferences and talking to teenagers and um, just really trying to sort out and develop you know what are the things that these foster kids are really hurting about mm-hmm. what do they feel like they're not heard about yeah. and then talking to people above like people in the DHS and I think we talked to a panel of senators one time Did you? Um, and just saying you know we're not making a list of demands but this is what right these people are feeling and this is why these actions are happening you know right. this is why these this teenage girl is running away because her brother was separated from her and so they both run away so they can be together yeah. because the system separated them yeah <laughs> You know, and I think at the time I didn't think of myself as someone who was impacting people, um, but rather just someone who was there for people. Yeah. And I just wanted people to know the truth. Yeah, the truth about what God says about them. The truth about you know what foster care is like and yeah. what what these hurting and broken people are exhibiting. Yeah. Um, so you went from ashamed, holding it all in, to... <coughs> spewing it all out. Yes. All over the place. A completely new creation in Christ who is like, wants you to be vulnerable, wants you to get things out, <coughs> wants you to share. Um, and so totally transformed with that. Yes. And so then I also know during this time, you did move back, correct, with that, with that family that... You loved and was it such a good influence on you? Is that right? Well, yes. After um, after my glory days of being a teen advocate, <laughs> I'm still I, a um, teenager. You're still an advocate. <laughs> I um, I did end up moving back in with that family. Um, it was a moment of a lot of vulnerability. I was sitting in a car and my mom. She looked at me, my mom of the family. Yes. Um, and she looked at me and she said. Daddy wants you to come home, mm-hmm. and I want you to come home. And it was just, oh. <sighs> it was, it was incredible. And I just, I just had these feelings of feeling wanted mm-hmm. and feeling completely and fully loved. You know, I had, in a sense, I had abandoned these people. <laughs> like yeah. I had said, your family's not good enough for me, so I'm <laughs> moving in with this other one. And of course, that wasn't my mindset, and that wasn't how they felt. Right. But to me, I felt like that's how they would feel. Right. And um, and you had never been wanted before for him, or you felt like you had never been wanted. So for her yes. to say to you, you, "We want you. We want you to come." Yes. It was. It was a very big deal for me. Um, and we, um, I did. I did end up moving back in with them, and I'm still really um, good friends with my previous foster mom. We go out to lunch and stuff oh, sometimes. But, um, but yeah, I, I just really felt like that was my family. So, were you, how old were you when you moved in with them? Seventeen, eighteen. <laughs> I was seventeen. It okay. was the February of my senior year in high school. Okay. So I did not have long before I went off to college. Okay. And so this brings up another topic within this of. If you're in foster care, another huge thing is kids aging out of the system. Mm-hmm. So a typical foster child, when they're 18, they age out, correct? Yes. And also have the opportunity to put yourself back in the system. Okay. I um, 
in hopes that you will be adopted or what would be the benefit of that? No, the benefit of that would be that you would have a home okay. and a family I gotcha. and to be like taken care okay. of. Because otherwise it's like you're 18, go fend for yourself, <clears throat> go yes. find a place to live and a job and all that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so a lot of teenagers who are in like good homes that they want to stay in, they do that so that um, the state can continue to help out the family that's taking gotcha. care of them. Gotcha. I didn't in I actually ended up aging back into the system just for six months before okay. I went to college. Okay. Um so that um I would still be like okay. able to access those benefits um, okay. and that my family would. And um and I went off to college and okay. I wasn't in the system any longer. Okay. And I was in college. Did and- you want to be adopted? No. Okay. <laughs> um, when I was younger, I talked about adoption when I was younger, and my caseworker told me, she said, when you, if you get adopted, <laughs> if you get adopted, your mom will have to pay full price child support. Right now, she's only paying half price. Of course, I'm 13, and I am just kind. Yes. <laughs> and so I was like, no, 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 no. I don't want her to have to pay for that. Um, it's okay. I just won't get adopted. Mm-hmm. And and I think a part of me felt like no one would ever want to adopt me. Mm-hmm. And so I was like not giving up anything. I was just, yeah. I was just saying, yeah. You was know, that a protective it's, it's thing okay. too? Like, yeah, fine. I don't even want to be. So if it, I'm not going to set mine up for self up for disappointment, maybe. I don't think so. No, I think okay. it was just this. Um, you know, it's kind of like, <laughs> it's kind of like people who, um, like, just aren't ever going to be good at math. Yeah. They're like, I'm never going to be good at math, so I'm just going to give up on being a mathematician. Okay, gotcha. So and you so, were just, I'm gonna, not even counting on adoption, not going to worry about that one. Yes, yeah. I didn't even I didn't even think of it as a okay. liable option. So I turned 18 and aged out, and adoption was not something that I ever knew that you could do after you were 18. I thought it was something that you did when you were younger. Um, and going back to that, I think a part of me might have been embarrassed of being adopted as an older kid. Sure, sure. Because I'm like, oh, when you get adopted, you're a baby. Or you're a little kid. Sure. Um, but I don't remember, like, specifically thinking that. But it, it very well could have been okay. a huge part of my decision. But um, And my family hadn't talked about adopting me. Okay. But I think they didn't want to Pressure persuade. Or build, yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so you go off to college, 18, not <clears throat> adopted. Um, yes. So and- how does that play out? Because... <clears throat> I know how I know how the story ends a little bit here. <laughs> <laughs> so my mom actually told me when I was going off to college, my mom and my dad, we had a conversation and they said, We want this to be the place you come home mm-hmm. to, that you call home when you go off to college. You know, we're not closing our door to yeah. you because you aged out. Like this will forever be your family and forever be mm-hmm. your home. Um <clears throat> and that was really special to me. And um and I, I did call that my mom and my dad. You know, that was my home. Um they are my home. Yes. They are my mom and dad and my siblings and yeah. all of them. Well, I think it was, I think it was winter break last year, my freshman year in college, when I got back home and I was, <laughs> I was pretty upset because I had a hyphenated last name. It was Glenn McCarty. Um, my mom's last name and my dad's last name hyphenated because they okay. were never married, my biological parents. And I was like, <laughs> the register put my name as Lachelle. 
Glenn, and I am not Lachelle Glenn. I am Lachelle Glenn McCarty. I am Lachelle McCarty, but I will not take the last name Glenn. And I was really sassy about it, and I was kind of joking, but kind of pretty upset about it. Okay. And my mom was like, well, why don't you just go by Davis? I said, mom, I can't do that. It's like, I can't do that at all because I have to go by my legal name at school. She said, what if it is legal? Mm -hmm. And I just looked at her and I said, really? <laughs> and she said, yes. And I said, like, really, really? Mm. And she said, yes. And I just started sobbing. Um, and I don't remember thinking, oh, I wish I would have been adopted or, oh, but I do remember in that moment feeling like, even though they had been my family forever, it feeling like, wow, like there's no doubt to anyone that this is my family. I didn't, in that moment, it was like, I'm no longer ever gonna be their foster kid yeah <laughs> like i'm going to be their kid now yeah and um i guess the family had been talking about it for a couple of months and just praying about how they should approach me with it and if they should go ahead and get all the paperwork done and then just on my birthday say here is the paperwork if you sign it this is your adoption day or if yeah that was something i even wanted um and, and like you just said, you would, had in your mind you didn't even want it. But clearly when she said this to you and you just mm -hmm. started crying, that was <laughs> in you. I mean, we all want a family and we all want to be belong. So that was in you that that is really what you wanted was to belong to their family. Yes. And, mm. um, and so it was really special and I ended up getting adopted August 17th of this last year. Oh my goodness. So not so, even a year. No. Okay. I okay. was 19. Okay. When I got adopted. Okay. And um, I think you can touch on that a little bit. Like for people that, you know, might think, why would you adopt a child at 18 or 19? You know, it's like, mm -hmm. and that was still huge for you to have it happen at that age. Mm -hmm. Um, and so again, like what we said, did you just feel like oh, I have finally, I finally am home and I'm secure and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it creates, um, a security that you wouldn't have otherwise yeah. at any moment. They can tell me I can never come back here and it's yeah. completely legal and it's completely ethical. Yeah. But just knowing that I have this like legal security, yeah. I guess, um, yeah. they're never going to do that to me. Right. Because right. I'm not. Oh, she was our foster kid and we just keep her around. Right. Like I, now I'm a part of the family. Yeah. You know, she introduced, she's introduced me always as her daughter, but she never says, oh, this is my adopted daughter yeah. or, oh, this was my foster kid that we adopted. You know, she says, this is my daughter. Yeah. She's been one of us since yeah. the day we met her. Yeah. And you um, have the same last name same and last you name. go on family trip. I mean, you do it all. I mean, they are your family. That is. Home. Yes. And then I just, I think too, of you know, what Jesus tells us, I mean, we're all adopted sons and daughters and just how mm -hmm. cool it is that you have this family and then you're also adopted into the Lord's family. I mean, how all of that, I don't think it's a coincidence that God is bringing all of that together in your life. Would oh, you agree? Oh, I would totally agree. I, when I was reading that Bible study, 31 truths, it talks about one of those truths being that you are adopted into mm -hmm. a relationship yeah. of father child. Yes. I think the father child relationship with, for me was so scary for such a long time. And then I met my dad now. Yeah. I think that was a huge part of me being able to trust God was that I now trusted man. Mm, that's um, and one thing that I've always felt is just this gratitude to my dad for showing me not only the love of a, a human father, but just providing me with an understanding of the lo love of a heavenly father as mm. well. It's not a, oh, I'm 
your dad and I'm also your God, but I'm your dad. And, and seeing if you can have an earthly father that loves you so much, how much more can, can your heavenly father yes, love you? Yeah. What's the Lord leading you right now to be doing with all of this? And, or is he, are you kind of <laughs> waiting to see where God takes you next? So about a year ago, I started to try and write a book. Okay. I was really struggling with what it, what I wanted it to be about what I wanted to put in it, what I wanted the audience to be. And whether I wanted to be like an autobiography with like subtle hints of this is my autobiography in terms of my testimony. Yeah. Or if I wanted it to be a, you know, this is what brokenness looks like and this is how brokenness can be overcome. Or just whatever. The multiple topics there's a lot of healing. Of layers. Yes, there's a lot yes. of layers to how God could use use your journey. And so I put that on hold for a little bit. I'm just not in a season of life where I feel like I can fully put Because you are a full time college student. <laughs> So writing a book at the same time, like, but God's got that in your heart. He's stirring your Mm -hmm. heart for that. Yes. And so I'm, um, I've been praying about that for a long time and I think I'll eventually write one. I'll give you a free copy. Okay. I'll have you back on at that time (laughs) to talk about your book. Because like you just said, your message is so multifaceted layered. I mean, Mm -hmm. yes, you want to speak to foster kids or, um, foster parent, all of that, but then also just people. We're all broken. We all have these journeys Mm -hmm. and we all need a healer. And so you really want to be able to speak to all of that too, right? Yes. Of people of all kinds. And I don't ever want to, I don't ever want to tell my story and make someone feel, oh, well, my brokenness isn't as broken as hers or isn't as important as hers because it, it is, you know, and just because I've experienced a physical brokenness that a lot of other people haven't experienced, that doesn't mean that they don't experience the same internal brokenness. Right, right. And, and I think that, that that's a huge lie that the devil places on people's hearts of, oh, my testimony's not as good as hers, or my testimony's not as good as his, or, you know, I'm not as strong as that person, or, right. you know. Or why would God use my story, or how could God use Exactly. Yes, you're so right with and that. And I think it's so important to just understand that your value doesn't come in what happened to you, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, whether it was good or bad. Like, your value comes from who God has called you to be and where God places you. And God has just placed me in a position that I can be open and vulnerable with people and that I can just help people point back to him. So it's really interesting, but I think in my life right now, I chose my word of the year. It's focus. It really, I think that being able to focus on Jesus and focus on an intimate relationship with him is a huge part of my healing process of just, um, just not caring what the world says, Mm. not caring about what I say and not caring about what I feel because of this world, but really just focusing on what he says about me mm-hmm. and and the life that he's called me to live. Yeah. You know, I never, ever, when I was little, would have thought that I would be talking on a podcast or right. going to speak at churches about hurts that I felt and about the brokenness that I was and just sharing that vulnerability with people. That was not something I would ever, ever, ever choose for myself. Right. But he has a different plan and right. he's just using it in ways that I can't even fathom. They're just crazy awesome. Well, I just, uh, first of all, you're such a joy. Like, I think I could chat with you all day. I mean, it's amazing. Just, just your maturity and self-awareness. And it's just, it's incredible to see how God is using you and changed you. And you end with just reading this, Lachelle. Yes, your, of course. Your intentional focus post here. <laughs> yes. 
2018. What a year. I was led through an incredible journey of self-discovery and redemption through the transformative nature of the one true king. I found heaven on earth, which led me to lifelong friendships rooted in the love of Christ. I was adopted by the most God-fearing and wonderful family any girl could ever ask. I fell in love with the most incredible and godly man. I was baptized by my loving parents, signifying a new start in life. I achieved through long, long nights and lots and lots of readings my academic goals. And I finished the year off with the absolute best Christmas break, starting with a trip to Kansas City to experience and be a part of the life of my boy, and then to Mexico to meet and spend time with my hermano, and ending with a relaxing and beautiful trip to California, my first family vacation. 2019, here I come. That's awesome. Thank you. Well, I want to talk to you again at the end of 2019 and just see <laughs> what this year has brought for you, because I know um, you're going to do amazing things for the Lord. So thank, thank you. you again, Michelle, for talking to me today. Absolutely. I loved it, and um, I'm just so glad that I have another opportunity to just share parts of me to help other people. Didn't I tell you Lachelle was a remarkable young lady? She has such a passion to use her story to help others that she wanted me to know she's willing to connect with anyone who feels moved by her story and wants to reach out to her. So on the show notes at HerStorySpeaks.com, I have listed where you can find Lachelle on social media. Also, if you're a regular listener of the show, can you leave a review on iTunes and share it with a friend? I know it doesn't seem like a big deal, but the more reviews and shares of the show, the more readily it's uploaded and marketed to potential listeners. Thanks for listening and have a great week.